If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let us pray. Dear Lord in Heaven, we ask You to join us here this morning, and we trust once again that You are here with us in this place. May my words be Your words, and all of our thoughts Your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Recently, Aya and I have been uh, re-watching the sitcom Community, which was canceled several years ago, probably because none of you actually watched it. Uh, Thanks a lot. This is one of the all-time underrated classics. It's set on the campus of a very poorly run community college. And one of the episodes that we watched recently featured a debate competition. And the question up for debate at this community college debate competition was, is man basically good or basically evil? And actually, at one point in the debate, the hero stands up and says, no one is righteous. No, not one. And then he attributes the quote, not to, as he says, a fancy philosopher, but to a simple desert handyman named Jesus. And that's funny. And it's great to see the Bible quoted unsarcastically in a network sitcom. Uh, But that quote uh, from Romans 3 is actually from St. Paul. And St. Paul is actually compiling that quote from a different couple of quotes from Psalms 14 and 53. So, you know, thumbs down to the sitcom biblical research department. But the character is right in the end, isn't he? Jesus does say that people are evil. It's just that he doesn't say it in Romans 3. He says it here in our reading this morning from Luke 11 in the context of this strange story about sleeping neighbors and fish and eggs and scorpions. But Jesus has a story to tell before he gets there, right? He says, picture a guy who has gone to bed for the night. He's locked the door, turned off all the lights, turned on his white noise machine, you know, turned the AC up on high and pulled the covers all the way up to his chin. He's out, comfortable. And then a knock comes on the door. Help me, says a voice. And the guy recognizes the voice as one of his neighbors, a friend of his. And this guy says, I have another friend staying over and I'm out of bread. Can you loan me three loaves? You can imagine, right, the sigh. You've got everything all set just the way you like it. You're comfortable. And all of a sudden, somebody wants you to do them a favor. So you don't. You say, I'm sorry. Everything is all squared away here. Ordinarily, I would help you out. I just can't right now. So what's Jesus' advice for this neighbor who needs three loaves of bread? Just keep knocking. If your friend won't get out of bed to help you because he's your friend, if you annoy him enough, eventually he'll come give you what you need just to get you to go away. Now you can see how this story could be a little confusing. It's set in the context of prayer, right? Jesus has just taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. 
in answer to their question about how to pray. And then he tells this story right away. So we're still in a sort of how to pray frame of mind. But what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that if you don't get an answer to your prayers, it's because that God is too comfortable to bother himself and that you should pray persistently and bug him because if you're annoying enough, God will get out of bed and help you out? Well, that doesn't seem right. And it's not. It's not right. And that's because Jesus is actually not talking here about what God is like. He'll get to God later. Here in this first story, he's talking about what people are like. He's talking about what we are like. And I think that the reason it's so easy to get confused by this parable is that we're so used to a certain way that parables are structured, right? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells a story that illustrates a truth about God. But Jesus does not say the kingdom of heaven is like. He's not telling a story to illustrate a truth about God. He just teaches the disciples to pray and then goes straight into and asks them to imagine this situation. And then, thank goodness, he interprets his own story for us. He says, so I say to you, ask, it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. But wait, does that explanation fit with the story that we just heard? In the story, you have to knock and knock and knock before the door is opened. But in Jesus' interpretation, he says that everyone who knocks receives. And then Jesus explains further. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And now, when we take all three of these little sections t- t- together, the, the neighbor story, the ask and receive part, and then this eggs and fish and scorpion thing, we begin to understand what Jesus is talking about here. There is apparently a very different kind of gift giving, a different kind of generosity than that of a friend who is too comfortable and too selfish to open the door. In Jesus' interpretation, instead of advice to be persistent or to keep knocking, we get simple declarative statements. Ask, it will be given. Knock, the door will be opened. And then, these incredible promises Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And who is it that receives? Who is it 
that finds? Well, evil people. See, Jesus has made a switch here. He has gone from talking about how we treat people to talking about how God treats people. If you then, who are evil, says Jesus, remember, I just illustrated that by telling the story about how you won't help your friend unless he's pounding on the door and making it impossible for you to sleep. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just imagine, you're the person in bed, comfortable, at peace, The knock comes on your door in the middle of the night. Don't you do the same thing as the guy in the story? Leave the lights off. Pretend we're out of town. The friend who calls and needs to talk just as you're on your way out the door to a nice dinner. The child who needs help going to the bathroom in the bottom of the ninth inning. The spouse who desperately needs to have a conversation about Something that would be so much easier for you to ignore. This is us. Sidetracked. Distracted. Self-absorbed. Unable to simply give someone what they need. Without considering how it will impact us. We do this calculation every single time about how what we're going to do will impact our lives. We say things like, ordinarily I would, but, or any other time, but, or can this wait? People have to hound us, knock and knock and knock to get us, to give them what they need. Even our friends, and this is what Jesus is telling the story about, he's not saying that's what God is like. He's saying that's what we are like. But then he does talk about what God is like. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If we, who are evil, and who need to be hounded into doing even basic good things for those around us, if even we don't give our children these dangerous gifts instead of the good gifts they ask for, how much better a gift giver is God? If we, who so often can't even do a favor for our friends, know how to give good gifts, imagine the surpassing splendor of the gifts that God gives and the extravagant way in which he gives them. Jesus tells the story of two friends and the locked door to draw attention to the kind of gift giver God is. An awesome one. Way better than us. God is an awesome gift giver in two ways. First, in terms of qualification. And second, in terms of quality. He's an awesome gift giver in terms of qualification, who gets the gift. And second, in terms of quality, how amazing the gift is. 
So first, qualification. Isn't it true that the better qualified the person asking you for something is, the more available you are to them? What's the unspoken truth in the story of the friend who won't get up to help his neighbor? Well, the neighbor is not important enough to get out of bed for. He's not worth it. He doesn't qualify. And this is our basic problem, too. We're always looking at the scales to see what we might get out of the good things we do. I bet the guy in Jesus' story would have popped right out of bed if a local celebrity had been, had been knocking on the door. If the person qualifies, if they can do something for us, we're more available to them. But God is not like us. God is always available. He's open 24-7 and he is open to literally everyone. No qualifications necessary. And it is here that the difference between us and God is perhaps most stark. Think of the person in the church or at your office or in your home who, when you see them coming towards you, you, you suddenly remember that you have to call someone on your cell phone. Or, oh, I forgot something back in my office. Better turn around and go the other way. Right? And the result of knowing how often we feel this way about other people makes us worried that God might feel that way about us. We know how much of an inconvenient burden other people can be to us. And so it makes sense that we think that we might be that same inconvenient burden to God. But remember the good news. God is not like us. Listen to this from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians that we heard from a moment ago. God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Our God deals with our worries about our inconvenience, about our lack of qualification, and he deals with them directly And he doesn't beat around the bush. Remember, we're afraid because we see other people as an inconvenient burden that God will see us that way too. But God doesn't look at us and say, oh, don't worry. You're fine. I'll open that door for you. You're wonderful just the way you are. That wouldn't actually deal with our fear. If God said that, we'd always be worried that one day we might cross the line. That one day he might change his mind and wouldn't feel like getting out of bed for us. So God has a more profound solution. He made you alive together with him when he forgave you all your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against you with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He 
nailed your unworthiness to the cross. He nailed your lack of qualifications to the cross. He paid the ultimate price for them. He doesn't ignore our unworthiness. He forgives it. Everything about us that would make a friend say, go away, you're not worth getting out of bed for, has been laid on Jesus' shoulders. And all of Jesus' worthiness, all of his qualification has been given to us. God's gift to us is his own son to pay for our sins, to make us alive together with God. He's not only a great gift giver because he's available and willing to us who have great unworthiness on our record. He's a great gift giver because of the quality of his gift, his own son. This is the gift that is available to you 24-7. And it makes the gifts we give pale completely in comparison. This is what Jesus is illustrating with his comparison of the gifts we give versus the gift God gives. Even we, he says, who are evil, know enough not to give snakes and scorpions to our children. We give eggs and fish or the equivalent, you know, Xboxes and Pokemon cards. Uh, Beyblades is the current thing in my house. We who are evil know not to give scorpions, we give Beyblades. But how much more and how much more abundantly does God give? He gives Himself, He gives His Holy Spirit, He gives the very life of His Son. He raises us to new life in Him. We give reluctantly. God gives overflowingly. We give after being hounded. God gives immediately. We give to people we think deserve it. God gives to the undeserving. We give only when there's something in it for us. God gives everything. The life of His only Son. His beloved. God, says St. Paul, made you alive together with him when he forgave you all your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against you with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. This incredible gift of God, his amazing grace is yours. Today, the door has been thrown open to you. Ask, and you shall receive. You, who were evil, are now on Christ's account, called good. Amen.